Year of the What is a romantic comedy by Jennifer Lieberman. It's an Amazon number one bestseller. It was awarded the 2022 Global Books Gold Medal for Coming of Age Books. It was also the Ippy Bronze, it won the Ippy Bronze Medal of, for Romance and Erotic Ebooks. Also, the Scribbles Worth Book Review's Best Rom Com of 2021 and the Literary Titan Silver Book Award. And today we go a little bit of behind the scenes with Jennifer and her book, The Year of the What on the Writer's Corner live show. Don't go away, we'll be right back. <laughs> Joining us, welcome to the Writer's Corner live show. I'm Bridgette Limbanda from Cape Town in South Africa. And if this is the first time watching the Writer's Corner live show, we've been going for four years. It's our fourth year this year. Can't believe the time's gone by so quickly. Um, we'd love to give you a shout out to welcome you to the show. Our show today is brought to you by Creative Edge, StreamYard and BeLive Media. So a special warm welcome to all of you, our viewers. Now, one of the things that, that Mary and I are very passionate on the show is um, helping authors, which is what the show is all about. And a lot of authors are still um, pivoting by going online to promote their books and just to talk about their journey as an author. Um, some of the in-person events are opening up. We've started to hear more and more of the authors going to in-person events, but people are still very, very, very careful. Um, and so a lot of events are still happening online. And so we've just got a few recommendations for you. Um, one of the things that we encourage you to level up if you are promoting your books online is it's important that people can hear you very clearly. And sometimes, um, you may not get the best sound from your device. And so you could invest in something like this, which is the Rode Lavalier, which is just a clip-on microphone. Um, very easy if you wanted to move around. Um, or if you are stationed at in your office at your desk when you're doing it, you could invest like something like a condenser microphone, which I have. But as I said, the Lavalier works perfectly. Both Mary and I use the Logitech Brio cameras, which has got trademarked right light and HDR technology. And in plain English, it means that you don't need to be an expert at lighting to get a great effect. And now I know that a lot of you still may use your uh, phones to go live and nothing wrong with that. The cameras on phones, on mobile devices, smartphones are absolutely amazing, whether it's Android or iPhone, um, they are great. But what we do recommend is to use a tripod because if you're trying to, it's very difficult to hold your phone in your hand um, and then, you know, hold your, your book in the other hand. It hampers your communication because your hands are not free. Um, so do use a tripod of some sorts, whether it's an iographer or um, a DSJ, DJI Osmo um, 
or just a regular tripod, but use something so that it'll enhance the experience for your viewers. Now I want to bring on my amazing co-host and friend, Mary Elizabeth Jackson. Mary is a special needs and disabilities advocate. Uh, she's a ghostwriter and she's also an award-winning children's book author. Um, and you can go and check out her latest release, which is uh, Cheers from Heaven with Thornton Klein. Mary, how are you today? I am great. I'm doing great. And um, yeah, it is so, I don't know, every time we say it's been four years, it's still hard to believe because it feels like yesterday we said, hey, we want to do a live stream show together. You know? <laughs> and then here we are. Absolutely. And it's so yeah. amazing. All the authors that we've met, this is, will be, I think the second time we've had Jen on our show and um, over in the last year or two, and we're so excited to have her back today. And uh, we just love all our authors. It, it's just so fun hearing what they're doing and what they're up to. And, you know, just the backstory of how they got where they are and their inspirations. And it's so fun to share it with our audience, help they'll find some new uh, lovers and fans, right? Absolutely. So for those of you who don't know Jen Lieb Jennifer Lieberman, who's never met her, she is a multi-award winning author, actor and producer with a Bachelor of Arts in Philosophy. She's appeared in over 30 stage productions around the world, including her award-winning solo show, which we'll ask her a little bit about, Year of the Slut, adapted from her book, Year of the What?, Jennifer also wrote a number of screen and stage plays, including the wacky web series Dump Water Divas and the short films Leash and Details, which screened at international film festivals. And so, without any further ado, let's invite our amazing guest, Jen Lieberman, to join us on the show for today, shall we? Do you feel like you're on the red it, carpet? Always. Always, I right? Like yes. I, live, I, I just live that imagination all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, around, like I'm always. I know, that's yeah. right. Well, you, that's what you want to manifest, right? So you got to act it, right? So faking it till you make it, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and you're actually on location right now, so uh, which is super cool. So you're, you're living the dream, you know? Yes. And I have to say, I, I feel very blessed and grateful, but also the dream is not what everybody imagines it to be. Um, you know, I'm, I'm an actor predominantly who started writing and producing to give myself work. So um, I wear a lot of hats and I'm constantly hustling my next project but it's so exciting to be, so I'm in Los Angeles right now. A friend of mine asked me for a short script a few years ago uh, before the pandemic. And he just asked me and said, hey, he, he's been working in the corporate field. I, I met him when he was in film school and we worked on uh, one of his student films together and have been friends ever since. And he's taken several corporate jobs and he just wanted to do something creative on the weekend. and. I gave him a script. It's called The Vegan Fairy. 
and he was going to shoot it in New York when he was living there prior to the pandemic, but then the pandemic happened and everything got put on hold. And he recently moved to LA to work for a company out here and decided it was time to make this piece and asked me to be in it, which is phenomenal because like I said, I started writing and producing to give myself acting work. And this project is a huge milestone for me. It's a, it's a small short film project. It's a short comedy about veganism, but it's a milestone for me because this is the first time that somebody else is producing and funding one of my film pieces. So that's a huge Oh my gosh, thing. congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. I've produced everything else that I've done on my own. Sure, I've been hired as an actor, but everything that I've written up until this point, I've found the funding, asked for favors, wrangled a team, put everything together. This one, I am helping out here and there as a, as a producer and helping find some actors. I, I cast a bunch of my friends that I've worked with in the past. <laughs> um, but ultimately, I just get to show up and know my lines and be the actor. So this is really it's exciting and a big milestone, like I said. Oh, congratulations. You, you make it all sounds so easy, you know. So, I mean, how did you how did you first get started in acting? I mean, I'm listening to everything that you're saying that you've done and accomplished. I'm thinking, how? Just where? Because a lot of people are like, where do I start? <laughs> okay, that, that's a really great question. So I started when I was a child. I was imagine. I, I lived in my imagination like most children do. And... It, it's kind of a cute story. I started writing. I was a huge fan of Saved by the Bell and I was in love with Zach Morris and I wanted to be his girlfriend. So when I was eight years old, I actually started writing little scripts and skits where I was like a student at Bayside and I was his girlfriend because that was a way for me to like insert myself into these worlds that I wanted to live in. So when I started writing, I just started kind of inserting myself into shows or movies that I wanted to live in. And then as I got older, I was able to construct my own worlds and my own characters and my own plot lines. Um, I didn't start actually performing. I started taking acting classes when I was in university. It was not something that was really encouraged at home like and I don't blame I do not blame parents at all like now that I've been in the industry for almost two decades um I used to I've run a few children's programs at different acting studios I was performing arts director in elementary school and I tell parents children should not have jobs um so I agree and even being in the industry, like I'm not encouraging anybody to be an actor. If you don't have like a burning desire and that you're willing to make like millions of sacrifices that normal people would never make for their nine to five job, then it's for you. But it's such a tough, competitive industry, you know, and, and basically you only get to win five to 10% of the time. So if you're okay with losing 90 to 95% of the time, this is for you. Wow. I started taking classes when I was in university and just started, you know, looking in newspapers back then, you know, looking in classified ads first in Toronto. And then after university, I just moved to New York 
with a duffel bag and a dream. And I was like, I'm here. <laughs> and that's, that's very, that's a very tip. Not that you're typical, but there are a lot of people who've done that. They've either gone to New York for Broadway and film yeah. or they've gone to California. And, um, you know, I understand exactly the sacrifices you're talking about because I've got a musical theater family. So, you know, it's a lot of time and effort and you, it, it is a love. It, it is a, yeah. it's a love that you are almost a slave to. And, and, and I take that lightly, you know what I mean? But to, you're so like, you're willing to take and be, have those sacrifices and, you know, and have and, and work for free and lots of losses and lots of, you know, but those gains are so amazing for, you know, just so amazing. Um, well, we want to say congratulations, right? Burgetti on, her award. We're so excited for you. And I know you're so excited, probably still pinching yourself just a little bit, you know, on that. And yeah, I, I can't like everything that's, that's happened. Like I said, you know, you, you get so used to, you know, losing 90, 95% of the time. It's almost shocking when you do have a win. So um, last week I was awarded the award of excellence from the Reader's House magazine. That's award number five, like five, like what? <laughs> Me, <laughs> you know, I feel like um, that scene in Legally Blonde where she's like trying to get into that special group to help the professor with that big trial. And she goes and looks at the list and she's like, me, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that is amazing. So, so with the adaptation of um, your book, Year of the What into Year of the Slut, how how was that? Was that always part of the plan? No, um, so actually, the show came first. The show was a showcase piece. When I first moved to LA, I had been in New York, I'd been doing theater, I got my, you know, chops there, you know, working with a few different theater companies and doing some really challenging stage work. And then I had produced a feature film that got some recognition in LA, I came out here for a festival and I was like, oh, maybe, maybe it's time to, you know, try, try film and television. I, I, the intention was always to get into film and TV, but um, there there was like this in the in the acting world. It's like you go to New York to become an actor, you go to LA to become famous. But if you're a serious actor, you go to New York first to like learn the the craft because you the stage acting is is very different than film acting. But also, you don't get a second take. You have to be able to to deliver. And it has to be consistent and it has to be every night live, as opposed to when you're doing a film, film acting is not easy by any means. I'm not saying that it's easy. It's just, you get a few different tries. Um, so I did the stage version of Year of the Slut as a showcase piece. If you ever saw the movie La La Land, the Emma Stone character does this one woman show to try and get an agent and a manager and try and get recognized in LA. So I was encouraged to do that. Year of the Slut was not the initial thing that I wanted to do, but I was brainstorming with um, a friend of mine who was the one encouraging me to do it. And all of my other ideas, she's like, now, 
you're not in New York. That's too artsy. That's too, you know, you need something commercial. You need a good title. You need a this, you need a that, you know? So I just kind of was like, well, I always thought like maybe when I was like an old lady, I'd write about the first year after my first major heartbreak, um, you know, and it would be called like year of the slut. Um, and then, so I wrote the show and of course it started loosely based on my experiences, but then I had to make it like really interesting <laughs> and really outrageous. So I borrowed stories and made up a bunch of stuff. And so the play I did in, in Los Angeles, nobody of note really came, but I realized this is the first time in my creative life that I'm not just kind of like settling for bit roles and you know, spending my time like hustling, just trying to get a foot in the door. I felt so fulfilled artistically and I kept surprising myself every day with both my writing ability and my acting ability because I played 10 characters. And I was just like, oh, wow, like there's something here. So I kept working on it, ended up getting into a festival in New York, winning the Audience Choice Award. And that's when people started saying, this would be a great book, like the title alone, you know, it would be flying off the shelves. So that's how it happened. Well, that's really awesome. And, you know, that's one of the things we wanted to ask you about was the hurdles that you faced during your adaptation, you know, from that to a book. And, you know, were you able to overcome them? Were they really challenging? You know, what were your biggest hurdles with those? Because that is a big deal. And you've got to have that one thing that people say, yeah, this is it. And then it's like spreads like wildfire, doesn't it? Yeah, at the, the, you know, in the music business, they always say all it takes is one hit and yep. then you're on the map, you know, and, um, you know, there, there are names and, and songs we still remember from, you know, before I was born that, you know, that one hit is like what made that person. So initially writing the book was, was easy because I was adapting it from something already written. I knew the characters, I knew the show. Once again, of course, it took on a life of its own. I was able to do so much more with a story in a novel as opposed to something that I had to perform all alone on stage in an hour and a half. Um, and then I had challenges because everybody seemed so interested in it before I wrote it. And then when I did write it, I couldn't really get a foot in the door with agents or publishers or, you know, there were all those same roadblocks that I had in my acting career. So uh, finally I realized, oh, well, maybe I, I need to hire an editor. And then big, big issue was I hired the wrong editor who didn't get it and didn't like the piece. So she was just kind of cruel and, her feedback shut me down for two years where I couldn't read, the, I couldn't even look at the manuscript. I was so upset and insecure and felt like it wasn't worthwhile. And then thank God for like good friends and, you know, some friends of mine, you know, are like, whatever happened to that book you were writing? Like it was, it was fun. Cause I gave a few girlfriends the, the first um, manuscript to kind of get feedback and see if it was even worthwhile. And they were all excited about it. So it took several years of pushing and giving up and going and doing a film project or going to do a play in New York, go do something else and then get, go back to it. And it had, it, it had been, you know, abandoned. And 
a few years ago, a friend of mine just encouraged me to self-publish it, not worry about it being successful and just have it as a completed project, like make it to the finish line. Because with scripts and screenplays for movies, it's like you need hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars to actually execute it and get it to the finish line. With a self-published manuscript, it's a lot less steps and a lot less money and you don't need a whole team of people, like a crew of, you know, 20 people in the crew and 30 actors and, you know, and all of that stuff. So that was the intention. And I, and I put it out there and I tried to do some marketing campaigns because of course, you're not just going to publish it and just let it sit there. And the original title got censored. So I couldn't get any ads approved on Amazon, Facebook, Instagram, no social media. It kept getting flagged because the word slut was considered like too offensive, even though it's a feminist piece, even though it's deconstructing a word that's weaponized against women. And it's actually a young woman's journey of redefining what that word means to herself, because the character at the beginning of the book believed that anything more than one man would make you a slut. And she waited for the right guy and she was with him for several years and then it just totally fell apart. And that was just, you know, kind of the catalyst for her reevaluating her own point of view of what female sexuality is. So uh, that was like another huge disappointment roadblock and it took a year and a half. Um, after a year, a colleague of mine started trying to convince me to change the title. She's like, it's a good book. There's no reason, you know, it shouldn't be successful. And if the title's the only thing stopping you, then change the title. And it took another six months after she said that because, and it's funny, I was reading Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. I reread it every few years and I started reading it around Christmas, literally on New Year's Day, 2020. I get to the chapter about a guy whose book was a total failure and then he changed a title and it turned into this huge success. And I was like, okay, universe. Okay. I hear you. That, <laughs> is, that is such an amazing uh, story and, and both heartwarming. And I'm really glad that, um, that you're so honest about your journey and how hard it was because, you know, I, I often look at my Twitter feed, and I see new authors saying, you know, how hard it is to uh, pick themselves up from the rejection. You know, I see a lot of people saying, how many rejections do you have to go through before you'll get a yes? You know, um, so it's really good that you're upfront and honest about that because anybody wanting to become an author and thinking it's a way to get rich quickly. <laughs> it absolutely is not. It's a lot of um, hard work. And, um, and it, you know, what do you say it takes to, um, to persevere? I mean, you've had a lot of rejections along the way. What would you want to say to a new author out there who's generally people are scared to get published, right? Your first yeah. book is just you're scared of putting yourself out there. What is one piece of advice you'd like to give to someone that's in that space? So this is like the total opposite advice is 
is um, from if you were in the business world. When you're an artist, when you're a creative, you can't end game. You can't worry so much at, about the end results. You have to love the process. You have to enjoy the process. If you don't enjoy sitting down and writing for five hours or 10 hours a day, then being an author isn't really for you. Um, you know, and if, if you're doing it because you're looking at the prize at the end of the road, you know, that with every step, it might get further and further away. Um, so really, you have to love it enough. I say like it's a one-sided relationship when you're a creative, because when you're in a relationship, there has to be this give and take or else what's the point of sticking around? It's not a healthy relationship if it's one-sided. When you're a creative, you have to love it enough for both of you. You have to love it enough because chances are, like I said earlier, 90 to 95% of the time, it will not love you back. But if you love it enough, you don't care. You know, there's a purpose for it. Um, and I, I think also, you know, Jen, I, we're so, I, Virgetti just said it. I, I'm so grateful you're sharing all this um, very deep stuff that's so important for folks to understand because it does look so glamorous. I mean, somebody watching you today is going to be, oh, she's living this glamorous life. But yet at the same time, you're saying, no, listen, I, I've scooped a bunch of poop in my life. I mean, I have been through the trenches and to hell and back. And here I am. And because of the tenacity and the per perseverance and persistence and believing in now, you didn't always believe in your project because you've told us here today that, you know, sometimes you just. It's like, I, and I can relate to some of what you're talking about just even recently in my life. You just put it aside because you're just like, okay, I, I just can't fight this battle anymore. Yeah. But there's that personal relationship with stuff, with what's come from your soul, your spirit and being a creative. And you know, there's a place in this world for it. You just got to find others who believe in that to help you get where you need to go as well. Isn't it true? Yeah. And it does take a village, you know, it takes yeah. having friends that you can trust to confide in that aren't going to sh shoot down your ideas and be like, oh, what you think like you can be a best-selling author, you know, because we have enough of that in our head. We have enough of negative self-talk in our head that one is like surrounding yourself with supportive friends who want you to win. You know, um, they came up with that term frenemies, you know, like a decade ago. And that's a thing. There are a lot of frenemies out there that, you know, want you to stay at the same level as them because then they don't have to reevaluate their choices or their decisions. Um, so that's number one, but also like having a good editor, having a good proofreader, having an amazing publicist like Mickey Mickelson. I'm going to like <laughs> sing his praises, you know, for the rest of my life because it does take a team, even though you're an author and you're writing the book alone, nothing happens in a vacuum. Nothing in this world happens with just one person doing all of the work and wearing all of the hats and finding people that you trust that are encouraging, that like your that like your writing, that like what you're doing, like hiring an editor who didn't like my book. That was the worst decision ever. But, <laughs> but how was I to know? 
you know, and that editor should have been candid with me and should have said, you know what, I'm not a right fit for this project. And, right. and she didn't. And, you know, and then I found another editor who was a perfect fit for the project and loved it and thought it was phenomenal. So that's the other thing too, is like, just because somebody's really good in their field or really good at what they do, doesn't mean they're the right fit for what you're doing. Yeah, you have that's to audition amazing, people. Jim. That's an amazing gem just right there, because I think, you know, as a new author, um, you may think, well, despite your gut, you may ignore your gut feel and say, well, the editor probably knows better than I do. But it's your book, it's your story, and so you should go with your gut. And if you feel in your gut that something doesn't feel right about the feedback you're getting, don't be scared to change your editor. That's a really great tip out there too. And it's an investment. It's an investment of your money, and you need to get your money's, your money's worth. But please, please, please do not put a book out there that's not been edited by somebody professional. Yeah. And it's funny because I was like, I was so naive when I started shopping the book around and sending it to, you know, publishers and agents and stuff. And it's like, I hadn't had an editor and it's like, what are you doing girl? <laughs> but, um, yeah. So who knows? Who knows? Well, we're so grateful to have you here today and to just share your journey. And yeah, you know what? You, you just can't knock a good publicist and you've got to have that tribe surrounding you, you know, or a good publisher if you have a publisher. Um, and then, you know, your editor and your proofreader, like you said, and just your friends who are going to be honest with you um, and family too, you know, whoever it is around you that, you know, you really need that. Um it's so, so important, but we're so glad to have you here. And we, we want to have you back on, obviously, because there's always so much to talk about. We can't wait to hear about your next, how this project wraps up that you're working on right now. Yes, absolutely. I'm so grateful to be here. Um, I actually have a new poem I would love to share if you're open to it. Please go for it. Please do. Okay. I'm We'd love to hear it. Yes, I'm so old fashioned. I like have everything on paper. So um, I'm kind of a, a technophobe and I'm, you know, kind of a little annoyed that our whole lives have gone to like screens and stuff. I don't know how you ladies feel about that. Um, so this is called Black Sabbath. And this is just kind of my opinion of, um, you know, taking a break taking a little screen rip, huh? <laughs> We'd love to hear it. Thank you. Black Sabbath. Can we all just go dark for a day? Turn off our devices, be still, be silent and pray. No posts, no distractions, no waiting impatiently for strangers reactions. Can we all just go dark for a day? No selfie indulgence, no curated inspiration, and no unsolicited motivation. Be present, be awake, meditate. Can we all just go dark for a day? Hold our loved ones dear, if not in our arms, in our consciousness sphere. Make amends with our maker, the true force of nature, and submit to the power of our sublime creator. Can we all just go dark for a day? Shut our screens, search our souls, 
reclaim our minds that get hijacked every time we scroll and finally take back our grip of the only thing we control. Can we all just go dark for a day? Spot on, Jen. Oh, wow, that is amazing. Have you published it? No, not yet. The first thing I ever published was a poetry book and it, it didn't really fly. So I'm not sure. I have quite a bit of new poetry that I've been writing. Um, the first book was erotic poetry, but with everything that's been going on in the world, I'm very much skewing into a more political direction. Um, so I'm going to figure out what to do with it. <laughs> It's good. It's very, very good. You should at least post it, you know, say it's copyrighted or whatever, but, you know, it may even take off, put some music to it. Who knows? You know, everything is so strange these days, how, what, what works and what doesn't work and what people watch and don't watch. It it is like, it's almost like a shot in the dark, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and, and I was thinking this morning, my son has YouTube on and it was like, okay, so in the past, our our um, superheroes and our uh, people we were fans over and loved all were on the big screen, right? Mm-hmm. Now it's all the small screen, and it's it's just it's it could be anybody. No training, no anything. We're watching people do stuff, and and they're getting twenty, thirty million dollars a year, and it's just absolutely insane. None of it makes sense. No, and you know, maybe this is like dating me or showing, you know, that I'm a little older. I'm not, um, you know, so tech savvy, but I, with all the technology we have and all the power we have with it, I feel like it really brings out the worst in humanity in terms of like what people are watching and what's getting views. Like I recently saw a documentary about this thing called mukbang where people are just eating 10 times the amount of food that a normal person should be eating. And that, and they have these YouTube channels and they get millions of views of people just watching them eat and like complain about their lives. And I'm like, people make money. I know. Like eating more food than could feed like a village in Africa and it like you you know so it's a technology is a double-edged sword just like the publishing you know just like self-publishing like it's great that they're self-publishing because um it gives opportunity to so many people who didn't have the opportunity to put their work out um and i feel like technology does that but it shows that humanity kind of has this tendency to gravitate towards like a real baseline of edu- you know of 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 entertainment or of content as yeah, people have lost their sense of balance yeah it's shocking to me it's it's literally almost on a daily basis the stuff that i see and then when you go and look up a youtuber or somebody a famous tiktoker and then you see how much money they're making and how they're making it and the content they're making it on it it's just I don't know, you go, well, either it's absolute insanity or I'm totally in the wrong business. So let me go act crazy with my kids. I'm going to act totally full on crazy mom, lost my mind. Maybe we'll be $20 million richer in a year or two, five years. Yeah. And for me, I've always, as as an artist, I've never been able to go outside of my integrity. And that's, that's just what 
that's just who that's I am. I'm not on TikTok. Um, I just, I barely even want to be on the platforms I'm already on. And I find it, I find it very challenging and draining to keep up with those things. And, you know, I, I look forward to the day where I can just have an assistant who like posts for me. Yeah, right. Yeah, I know. Because I feel like my time, everything, yeah. And my time is more valuable. Like that's the other thing that people don't understand. Like my time is more valuable than to spend like two, three hours a day trying to take pictures of my life and get the light, right lighting and, and post it on social media and then spend an hour engaging with comments and then looking up hashtags and commenting on those hashtags that have the same hashtags as my post. And I'm just like, wow, this is really a full-time job. And people do have full-time jobs doing this. And I have enough full-time jobs <laughs> without social media. Yeah, I know. Things have gone a little bit insane. Jen, thank you so much. This was amazing. We'd love to have you back, back again sometime. Um, I want to just say thank you to our amazing audience. And if, you, if you've just joined us now and you've missed most of the show, Jen has dropped some amazing advice if you're a brand new author out there or just trying to make your way through getting published. Um, there were some amazing gems dropped in the show. So do go and catch the run to get the full episode. Thanks, everyone, and we'll see you back on the next episode of the Writer's Corner live show. Take care and stay well. Mm -hmm.